0: The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to episode 57 of The Things We All Carry. Today, I bring you the final part of my interview with Brian. In the previous episodes, Brian discussed various calls and traumas and the effects from both of them. From the graphic and all-too-real calls he ran as a volunteer to experiencing the worst day a firefighter can have, Brian discusses his realization that his career has taken a toll on him both physically and emotionally. He shares the whys and hows about how he finally gets the help he needs. He's open about his resistance to and his inability to be forthcoming in a few attempts at therapy and how it limits his chance at any real or actual recovery. We discuss the insights he's earned and learned along the way, and he shares both his failures and successes. Brian will tell you point blank that he is far from finished figuring it out. He won't hesitate to point out that this thing we all call life is simply a work in progress. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at thethingsweallcarry or email my story at thethingsweallcarry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. Last time we talked about FDNY showing up with their peer support group. And what are the things you took away from the FDNY peer support? Um, that,
1: it's hard to remember everything because they talked to, we got alone time with them, which is great after everybody else had left. One of the biggest things I guess I took away is one of the guys looked at me and asked me, specifically, what are you doing to take care of yourself? And I really didn't have an answer for that. It was, yeah, I had to sit back and think about it. And I'm sure I probably gave him some bullshit answer, but I didn't have an answer of what I was doing to take care of myself. Besides leaning on the support of my company, I knew I had them. I knew I had their support and I had support at home, even though I did not go home and talk about anything with my wife, but that's one of the biggest things that I took away from it is what are you doing to take care of yourself? And that has come, that that question has popped up into my head time after time again, and I never had an answer for it, but then something else would happen and I move on to the next thing and not worry about taking care of myself.
0: And in that year, you start to worry more about taking care of your crew, like we talked about, and That's where your focus lies.
1: Yeah. Right after a short, or I'm going to say just weeks after that fire, my captain came to me and took me aside and said, you need to watch your back. They're coming for you. I'm like, what? And he told me flat out that there were, let's see, I don't want to say this the right way, because I know there are so many people that listen to this. The department wanted to break our crew up. They were coming after me and transfer all of us, get, get us off the rescue. And I'm thinking, that's not a good thing, you know, that, so I, of course, I went into protection mode, we got to stop this from happening. We don't need to be broke up right now. We need each other right now. And, that subject, he kept coming back to me and telling me that every now and then to watch my back, they're watching and
0: they're going to do something. What are they watching? What's the. What do you believe the thought process was about why they would want to split the crew up? Because we were too tight.
1: We were a tight crew. We got along, not only at work, we hung out together after work, our families and everything. And for the longest time, the department didn't like that. When you keep a crew together, they become strong and then, and they work good together and everything else, but. If you keep moving them around, they don't become strong. Then they're not a threat to management. I didn't think of us as a threat to management or a threat to anybody, but the rescue is always, and I think this happens in a lot of departments. From talking to people right on rescue companies. They always get the short end of the stick. Sometimes or they're looked at as thinking of themselves as being elite when they're just out there doing their job and doing what needs to be done, but I guess sometimes they just get the the wrong impression about it. And with the people that were coming into the firehouse, the chiefs that were coming into the firehouse and looking around and watching and going back and reporting, oh, Brian's doing this and Brian's doing that and Brian's got these guys all angry and pissed off. And there was a wrong impression about what was going on because none of that was happening. And I knew there were some people out there that had problems with us. They didn't like just didn't like us. When I confronted, I confronted a couple of people and asked them flat out if we were being broken up or being looked at, and I was told no. And then, of course, the transfers come around, I forget, June, July timeframe, something like that, and my senior guy gets, which, I mean, that hurt all of us, especially for him, he gets sent off to another firehouse with people that weren't even involved in the fire, and now he doesn't have a support system. His support system's through the telephone or when we get together, and that was a bad situation. We still had people coming, looking in. A lot of that stopped after we got a new fire chief. The department, or the fire chief that we had left the department, and we got a chief that came up through the ranks, took over, and we had a good, we started to form a good relationship with him. He actually took interest in what was going on and came by the firehouse and talked to us. He even rode with us one day, uh, one afternoon on the rescue, which I thought was freaking amazing. And we went out on an auto accident and it was just a simple stabilization to get the person out of the vehicle. But he was amazed by watching us work together and how there was very little conversation. Everybody knew what their job was. Everybody took care of uh, what needed to be done. And he took me aside, and I remember this conversation. He was just really impressed with how everything flowed. But there was very little talking amongst us, a so very little direction that I had to give. And that's the way it should be.
0: And things got be- a little bit better after that. Things seemed to ease up. Do you ever find yourself care? Do you ever take care of yourself during that year?
1: Yes. One of the guys I work with had uh, started talking with a counselor or a therapist, and he came to me and took me aside and said, hey, I think you need to go talk to this person. And will wow. So I did. I took his advice, went through, and got her contact and made contact with, with this with her. and went and saw her a few times, and it did help, but it also didn't help. I really didn't have that connection. And the other thing, too, is after my last experience with talking to somebody, There was no trust there. I, and this person didn't try pushing, or drugs or anything like that at all. But there was that lack of trust there on, on my part where I did not tell everything that I needed to tell. And I think, you know, that also probably hampered anything at all getting done or getting resolved. But I did go, we did go down, sit down and talk, but we mostly talked about my experiences in that fire. And that's what it was mostly about, nothing else that happened in the years prior to that.
0: It was just about that year. What are some of the things that affect you? You Obviously, Kyle's death affects you and affects everybody that was involved in it or in the department at the time, but what are some of the things that... How did it manifest in you, those effects? How did those manifest in you? What were you doing to deal with some of the, we'll call them demons?
1: Really not much of anything. I guess just rolling or just letting them play out like the nightmares or even just laying down in bed. As soon as I went up to bed, I lay there in the dark and images of the fire would pop into my head and I would just toss and turn but they wouldn't go anywhere and i didn't know what to do with them or where to put them or how to even deal with them and if i was lucky to fall asleep because there was a lot of nights where i laid there awake all night long with just thoughts going through my head It could start off the fire and it could roll with okay we got this to do tomorrow we got this and training and just Laying there with your mind just not shutting off. And if I did wake up or fall asleep, there could be a nightmare in there, something just out of the ordinary that didn't even happen, but it was a nightmare. And wake up in a cold sweat and probably stay up the rest of the night after I didn't know what to do with them. I truly didn't. One of the things I do remember and I did was seeing that therapist talking about is those aren't real. The images that you might see in, in your brain and everything when you first lay down, those are real that you bring in or your mind bringing stuff back up again. That really happened, but the nightmares aren't real and you need to tell yourself that that they're not real, but that didn't help it didn't work. Nightmares have been something that had, I've had for a year or, or a long time, as far back as I can remember. And even just laying down and having the thoughts of something happening, I can remember when my kids were little, just laying there in bed, and my mind just wouldn't shut off. And I would start worrying about something happening to my kids, like my son being out riding his bike and getting hit by a car or something like that. And those things pop into your head because you've dealt with them and it's not real and you can't keep your kids just in the house and locked down under lock and key they got to have their freedom and everything but like little things like that would come into my head and they intensified after marsh overlock they were always there but they actually got worse after we had that fire and i truly just didn't know what to do with them So yeah, I, when it came to helping myself and doing things for myself, I dealt, I would dive into my work. I would keep myself busy. So the fire department, which always had, was a very big part of my life, became an even bigger part of my life. And then of course, there's also family things going on at around about that time. My son started having troubles in school and we were, my wife and I were dealing with that, which also added a whole lot of stress, even more so when he got up in middle school and high school, but I just, I dove into work and that's what my concentration was on work. That was my escape or my way to deal with it was to do more about work.
0: Yeah. And talking about work, I know from our conversations before you got the short end of the stick on a few deals at work, and you got moved around quite a bit after the rescue. you went up to communications, correct yeah, that so, was
1: uh, that was a shitty everything leading up to that sucked there was this list of lieutenants that had to go do a period of communications we at that time we had three fire officers that were or four fire officers up in our communications center that would uh, supervise not even really supervise we really didn't have a lot of anything up there. We were there as subject matter experts. I got told that my name's coming up on this list and thinking, "Uh, there's no way. I haven't been a lieutenant long enough for my name to be coming up on this list all of a sudden, and I knew that was coming. I was told, well, you need to start looking for another home. Now the predictions are coming true that I was told they're coming after you and they're wanting to break up the rescue. Break your crew up. I started trying to find somewhere else to go as far as another unit to go to or something else to go do. I didn't want to, but, and then I was also told, no, don't worry about it. You're not getting transferred. You're not even close on the list. You're not getting transferred at all. Okay. So I don't need to worry about it. No, you don't need to worry about it. There's other people ahead of you. All right. So I stopped worrying about that Better A week before. Or a couple days before this transfer meeting happens, I'm at work and I get a phone call. And it's from a volunteer fire chief that I haven't talked to in a while. I used to work at his firehouse. He calls me up and says, Brian, I got something to tell you. I overheard a conversation last night and I didn't like what I heard. And he basically went in on how these three chiefs were standing around just bad-mouthing me and talking about how I had to be taken out of the field. I had to be dealt with. They have to put me away someplace. I'm like, really? Well, this sucks. Okay. And then later that day, another volunteer chief comes by the firehouse and tells me the same thing. that He overheard this conversation. And now I'm pissed. Now, oh, this is bullshit. What in the world? Why is this going on behind my back? And what have I done? Nobody has come to me saying, Brian, you're messing up. You're doing this. You need to straighten up. Nothing. No communication whatsoever. But I've evidently got three chiefs that are having a public con- conversation about how bad of an officer I am and that I've got to be put so again. I- Talk with my battalion chief. Nope. Nope. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to let you get transferred. Transfer meeting comes and goes. I'm at home that day. I'm off work and I get the phone call. Sorry. I tried my best, but couldn't do anything. You're going to communications.
0: Okay.
1: Thanks. And went up to communications so I could be hidden away from everybody and I knew it was a punishment transfer again, but went up there and ended up getting the, the same uh, dispatchers that were on duty that dispatched the fire where Kyle passed away was the crew that I was assigned to. We had a lot of conversations I had with them. One of the things I had asked early on after the fire, is anyone taking care of our dispatchers and the call takers? Is someone going out and talking with them? And I was told, yeah, don't worry about it. They're being taken care of. And my conversations with them come to find out that nobody ever went and talked to our dispatchers. They're the ones who took the call. They're the ones who listened to all that over
0: the radio. I was going to say, they also listened to his Mayday.
1: Yeah. They heard all that. And they didn't have anyone come and help them or talk to all. So it was, I guess, a blessing in disguise that I went up there because we did... Have some conversations some nights when it was real slow. We were able to just sit and talk about that. And I think it helped them. At least I hope it did. But yeah, communications was awful. I was miserable up there. I was out of the field. I was away from everybody. I wasn't even part of the fire department anymore because our communication center is run by the police department. I worked two 12-hour days and then 12 12 12-hour nights. And the nights were awful. I was just, there's, I know one time Specifically, I was driving home down the interstate and I fell asleep in the car. And if it wasn't for the rumble strips, I don't know what, I'd had a nasty accident, but I drifted over one of the rumble strips and that woke me up. Scared the you know what out of me. It did. It was a tough job and I was ready to quit. I was ready to leave, that was it. I was done with the fire department after that. And then an opportunity arose. It's an opportunity that came out of tragedy. We had a volunteer fire recruit pass away at our fire academy during training. Again, these things shouldn't happen, but they do happen. And I was called up and asked if I wanted to come up to the academy and help rewrite the whole training program for our firefighter schools, including our recruit schools. And I jumped on that opportunity and said, yeah, I'd love to come do that. So the request was put in for me to get transferred, it Evidently, it did not sit well with a certain fire chief who tried to block it, but it happened. And I was really thankful that somebody somewhere had enough faith in me and trust in me that this was a job that I could handle. So I went up to the academy and there was already a lieutenant up there and they put the two of us together and our job was to rewrite the whole firefighter curriculum and to... Mirror, the volunteer, and the career recruit schools together so that we were all teaching the same thing, getting the same message across. And that's what we did. Worked at the academy. That first recruit school that I taught, volunteer school, I was just, that first year, just learning everything and taking everything in. And it was also eye-opening for me. It helped me to realize how much I loved being a fireman. It woke me back up. It put love back into my heart for the job. Just watching them come in, excited to learn, excited about becoming firefighters. And then when I watched our first recruit school graduation, walk, watching them walk across the stage and getting their badges pinned on, I knew deep down that we're doing something. Th- this is more than just me or anything else. This is huge. Really impacted me at, And that whole year, it just took away all the bad crap that was, that I was going through and just reinvigorated my love for the job. And I was excited to be there. And I dove into that academy and teaching and I was there all the time. And especially when the lieutenant that I was working with, he got transferred out. So now I'm in charge of the recruit schools, both career and volunteer. And there was a lot. There was a whole lot of work. I was there almost seven days a week sometimes, working from six in the morning, sometimes till nine o'clock at night, going home and then coming back and doing it again because there was a lot to do. We had anywhere from 30 recruits in our classes to some of the volunteer classes. I had up to 40 recruits. And there was scheduling the classes, making sure instructors showed up. There were times where instructors didn't show up and i get a phone call at home. Hey, I didn't have an instructor here. There goes my Saturday. I'm going to work, but I did. I dove into it and it was great, but it was also very stressful. So much so that it was starting to take a toll on my health. Whereas I wasn't sleeping at night and it wasn't necessarily because of nightmares now, it was because my mind wouldn't shut off with work. I would go home, lay down, and I'm going through what needs to be done the next day for all the classes that I was in charge of. And that really, I mean, that, I guess I I thrived a little bit more under that type of stress and it didn't really, it affected me, but I didn't know how it was affecting me until, I don't remember what year it was. We had done some burns with our recruits. And after we were done, we did blood pressures and everything for everyone that came in and out of the building and everything. But that day I wasn't feeling right. So I took my blood pressure and it was high. I remember, I think it was like, I remember the top number was around 168 or something. And it wouldn't come down. And later that evening, I'm in the office, I'm getting all my paperwork together and everything. And I hook myself up to the blood pressure cuff again and take my blood pressure. And my captain walks in and he sees it. He oh my God. What's wrong? I don't know. My blood pressure's been jacked. And that's not good. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's not good. (laughs) So I ended up going and seeing my physician about and getting put on blood pressure medications. But it was just, at the time, I just took it all. It's stress. I'm just doing way too much. But there's a lot up here that needs to be done. And also at that time too, had issues going on at home. My son was getting in trouble in school. I would get phone calls from the principal I need to have a meeting. So I'd have to leave work, go home, have a meeting with about something going on in school, which most of the time was bull crap. And then go back to work again. And so there were a lot of stresses going on, but again, I loved it. I loved the teaching. I loved being busy. You did not have downtime at the academy. You were always on the go doing something. And I thrived on that. But that was also probably, looking back on it now, a way to take anything that was going on and just push it away, push it
0: away because I'd get into my work. Yeah, you can stay busy and ignore the issues. Yeah, and just keep going. But the issues remain because you don't work on anything. And I know that, and what I'm going to do, I think what I'll do is I'm going to, we'll talk about your timeline. From the academy because I know the academy they decide that okay wait things are going well but maybe it's too much from Marine style boot camp is what you said and yeah
1: I did I did get told I was teaching a Marine Corps style boot camp and was told that oh, we're going to be moving you out which kind of threw me for a loop um, I wasn't in a Marine Corps I don't <laughs> know how to teach a Marine Corps boot camp but that we went from being told our recruit school was too easy. And we needed to have more discipline and also have a more stringent testing or a higher standards. At one point, I was told that they want to make our passing grades 90%. And if a recruit didn't get 90%, they were not going to have the job. Yeah, it's impossible. You can't do that. We don't, there are people that score in that and stay in that, but the majority of people are in the 80th percentile. And we would have lost a lot of people if we had moved the standards up. And then all of a sudden going from Being told that to you're being too strict on these people and you're wanting too much out of them. It was really confusing. Yeah. I was told it's time to go. That was end of 2011, early 2012. It was end of two or it was the last class that we were teaching in 2012 because we had just started their recruit school and I was moved
0: in October, right in the middle of their recruit school. And you go back to an engine this time. Yes. I go to an engine this time. And it's your first time on shift work, which yep. is different for you because obviously you've been on this day work schedule for most of your career, almost all of your career. Almost careers. all my career, with
1: the exception of the that seven months I spent our communications center. That's the only time I worked at night. So now I'm on the, over 2448s then and on an engine company. And it was great. I had, a, I had an awesome crew. The one thing coming out of the academy and being as busy as I was at the academy, and now going to an engine. A single oil engine and a medic in the house we weren't the busiest engine around but we ran a fair amount of calls but i had a hard time trying to figure out what to do with my day so you had too much time at home yeah i did have too much time at home i had too much time at work a home i found projects i could do and so the home depot card came out and ran that, that, that up doing little home improvement things just trying to keep busy and that That was a good assignment. I was there for two years and then really nothing significant happened. I think probably the worst call that I ran there, which sticks with me, we had a call for an infant that stopped breathing. We get there and the mom was breastfeeding and fell asleep while the infant was breastfeeding and the infant suffocated. And that's, anytime you run a child, especially an infant, that kind of sticks with you, but that, for some reason, that one, that child's face sticks with me. I could see it, there was nothing we could do if it was gone and that, that sucked. But yeah, that was a good assignment. I had an awesome crew there and I got back into the academy. I had injured my leg. I tore my ACL during one of our live burns and was going through a recovery on that. So while I was there, after I got back out in the field again, I was able to start running again and exercising. And that was also something that helped me out mentally, not just physically, but it helped out by getting out and going for runs. I, go, I, was, I got back into going to the gym on my own because I had so much time being on shift work. So I'd go to the gym on my days off and work out. And it was a good thing. I get bored with gyms, though. I don't stick with them. I don't have a gym membership now because I just, I get bored. It's just not enough to do. I got transferred, let's see, two years at that engine, and I got transferred to being a floating lieutenant. That, that assignment sucked because I wasn't assigned. I didn't have a crew. I didn't have a home. I was living out of my car, floating from firehouse to firehouse, wherever they needed an officer on whatever vehicle. And one of the reasons I was picked for that job is because I had my tech rescue. So I was able to go and ride on the engines, trucks or rescues, whatever was needed. And I know
0: that one of the things that happens in a floater position is you start to feel this isolation, correct?
1: Yeah, there was definitely a lot of isolation because number one, you're not part of a crew. You're going into somebody else's house, and just fill in a seat for the day. And you don't have that tie with the company that you would if you were assigned there. The other thing is in our department, the technician two position, that individual would be able to ride up as an officer if the officer was off. So when I came in, I was taking that person's spot. And even having been in that position before, I looked forward to that because that was my time to be able to get that experience and to ride that front seat. And when you have a lieutenant come in to take that spot from you, you don't get that. So I understand there was that, I don't want to say animosity, but you're not always welcome because of that. But the biggest thing was just floating around from station to station. And I really got a a huge insight too on the way a lot of firehouses operated. Not everybody sat down and had lunch or breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. Not everybody was cooking. I went in some of the bigger firehouses, and people would just disappear. You walk around looking, where is everybody? And everybody's off doing their own little thing, whether they had a project to do, schoolwork to do, or whatever it was, they were off doing their own little thing and that was really unusual. That was something I wasn't used to. So, yeah, the, the floater position, it just it wasn't for me. I felt very alone in that. And, um. There were a few places I really loved going to, back to my old firehouse, and then the one I ended up retiring from. There were a couple of them. I was always, I can't say that I was never welcomed. I always did feel welcomed by everybody, but it was just, it was weird being that outside guy coming in
0: and being part of a crew for a day. If that makes any sense. It does make it. It makes complete sense. And I know that between the, the floater position and your next position, which was in safe and you get assigned as a safety officer after the floater position, it, this, the things are very similar because there's still that time alone. It's still a loneliness. It's a, a solo position.
1: Yeah. Safety was a little bit better though, because again, we had a very a group of people that I worked with in that position and being the new guy, I was always picking the phone up and calling somebody for advice. Hey, I got this going on. Where do I go from here? What do I do? I was actually assigned in a firehouse, so I wasn't working in an office somewhere. Being assigned in a firehouse, I was around the crews all the time. Even though I worked day work and that firehouse was on shift work, I got to see all three of those shifts every day and sit down and have lunch with all them. I had the ability to get up and go out and visit all the firehouses in my area. That was a good assignment. The other thing is, being a safety officer, you're not just there to go and watch everybody or what they're doing on an incident scene and, oh, you didn't put your wheel chalk down and silly crap. That's not, your job is to be an advocate for the employee and to look out for the employees, especially if somebody got hurt on the job. And that is something I took really very seriously. Somebody got injured, went out and did the paperwork with them. If I had to be at the hospital with them, follow up with that individual as they're going through their, it was an important job. It wasn't just getting to respond to calls and... Make sure people are having all their gear on and stuff like that. Say
0: I'm doing the right thing. There was a lot more to it. And it, it was good. I learned a lot in that position. You also talked during this time that the things that start to creep up on you though.
1: Yeah. Things start coming back a little bit more. Um, nightmares start coming back a lot more, not be, still not being able to sleep at all or not being able to sleep very good. Stresses that were coming back. It was just, there were things coming up, but I really did not realize what it was sneaking up on me or didn't pay any attention to it. Just shoved it back down and went on about my business. And I also started thinking, maybe some of this is, I'm just, I'm bored right now with what I'm doing. I need something new. I need something different. I've been through... Been assigned to a rescue. I've been a floating lieutenant. I've been on an engine company. I've been at the academy, the communications center. Now I'm a safety officer, on board. So, decide to sit down and take the captain's test. Study for that, take the captain's test, get promoted. And I was actually, now we're on with something new. Now, new responsibilities, new position in the department, time to be able to do some new things. Get assigned to one of our stations on the furthest end of the western part of the county as I can go and rural water supply a whole nine yards. This is a whole new realm for me. And it it was a long drive to go to work but it was a great assignment. Again, I got there. I had a fantastic crew. They were motivated. That firehouse we had just taken over so we were doing there were a lot of renovations and stuff going on in it and everybody was involved from all three ships. I mean, Mike My crew, we tore the kitchen apart and the kitchen and put new cabinets and stuff in it. There was a lot of work to be done. It was a good assignment, but I was only there for a few months. An opportunity came for me to go to back out on the east end of the county to one of the one of our busiest engines. And I jumped on that opportunity to go back there. End up back out in the east end of the county. And yeah, I'm just happy as can be about that. But... At that time, not really not even realizing it, I'm going downhill. I split the lack of sleep, the impending fallhood just prior to that. We had a friends of ours. Their son took his own life, and uh, my kids and him were very good friends. They were close. My wife and his mom went to school together. And uh, that really affected me. It hurt because watch this kid grow up. I remember him and my son in the backyard playing baseball together, throwing the ball around and stuff. And even though I wasn't really as close with the family as my kids were and my wife was, I just, there always was that question in the back of my mind, whether or not I could have helped or could have done something and it ate at me. We did a lot for the family afterwards. There was a whole bunch of us that were friends of theirs that helped them out. We're always there for them afterwards, but. There was always something there that ate at me with that. That was eating at me. I was teaching written Mayday School, and I really didn't realize it at the time. Every time we taught that class, I would do the lectures. And part of that lecture was going over Firewall Mariled die to Marsh Overlook. And we'd play the video, the audio, and I was hearing that over and over again. And it was really starting to get to me. I do remember there was one class where I just, I was sitting in the back while the whole video was playing and the students were watching it and I'm in the back of the room and I just started tearing up, listening to Kyle's voice. It was getting to me, but I got to go back up and start doing lectures. So I got to shove this crap down. I can't let the, you know. I can't walk out of here and let this affect me. I got to suck it up. And that's what I did. But teaching those classes, being a part of that over and over again was really, and hearing that over and over again, it was really starting to get to me. And I really didn't realize it. 2018 comes along. We've got a new crew in the firehouse. We're all getting together, gelling and everything. One of the guys I worked with has just bought a house. He needs a lot of renovations done. I'm over there every day off helping him during the summer. There's a bunch of us that go over there and help him basically tear his house apart and rebuild it on the inside. And that was something that kept me busy. And it was also, but it wasn't, it was also taking me away from anything that I was thinking of getting more and more depressed, not really realizing why I was getting depressed, but I was going downhill. I was getting more and more depressed. I wasn't sleeping at night. I was having nightmares when I was at work. I couldn't sleep at all. I'd be up all night long. I would try to go to bed and get up and walk around. And then of course the house that we were at, our engine ran calls all night long. We just, if you got to go to sleep for a couple of hours, you're lucky because you were up all night, mostly running calls. So I was always on edge, always waiting for that light to go off in the ceiling and jump up out of bed. When I couldn't sleep, I'd get up and go watch TV or something. So I wasn't dealing with anything. The other thing with staying up is it prevented from any thoughts from entering in my head. Cause when I lay down in the dark, that's when thoughts and you name it, it could be just the random dumbest thing that you never even experienced, but it pops up into your head or nightmares. So I'd stay up, so I didn't have those. I definitely had been drinking, but my drinking started intensifying where I was doing it more off work. I'd hit the pub probably about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, stay there till 7 or 8 at night. I wasn't dealing, I just, I was not dealing with it. I knew something was wrong, and I knew I wasn't feeling right. And then out of the blue, thoughts of suicide started popping up in my head. And this is coming around October timeframe. Also, back up real quick. I don't want to forget this because this was a trick, something that triggered me. So I think it was September when, when National Fallen Firefighters has their memorial services up in Emmitsburg, Maryland. I had been invited to go up there to sit down and talk with firefighters who had experienced a firefighter who had passed away in the line of duty, like a group session thing. And I had done it for about three years, which it was an honor to do, to go and sit and just listen to these guys and talk to them a little bit. This year I went up there and I had a request to get into the fallen firefighter site to the memorial because they have everything locked down. After 9-11, they locked it down for security reasons. So I was able to get a pass and be able to get up in there. I wanted to go up in there and see where Kyle's name was and also another one of our firefighters that had passed. And going up into the memorial, I was just overwhelmed. And seeing Kyle's brick and his name and everything, and that just, that that triggered something in me. That was a huge trigger and just led me even further down. I don't want to say that if I didn't go and do that, that it wouldn't happen. I think it was coming, but that was just something that snapped at me, was just that experience of being there on the
0: memorial grounds with everybody's name. When you say it it snaps something in you, describe that. What do you mean by that? Just the
1: feeling of depression, the feeling of not being worthy, not wanting to be here anymore. So
0: does it just intensify everything or does it create anything new? doesn't create anything new. I think it just makes it worse. Okay. Just makes it worse.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going downhill and I know it.
0: Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount, and I appreciate all of you. I have one request, though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. I was a part of our department's peer support group, and I should,
1: you know, (laughs) Honestly, should be knowing better about this stuff, but I just, there was. It was almost like I didn't have control over anything anymore or anything in my life anymore. I didn't have control over anger. I didn't have control over feeling depressed. I didn't have control over drinking. I didn't have control over me. I was losing it. So I went and seeked out help on my own. I I didn't want to go and talk to the counseling services that we had in our department, I went and did some research and found a therapist on my own who specialized in talking with first responders and also military and had two meetings with this individual before a couple of guys at the firehouse and then we're talking about November timeframe of 2018, we're working, it's the day before Thanksgiving, we're working and uh, I'm out of, I know I'm out of it that day. I'm just not in with it. We had some training early on the books. And one uh, well, of the guys comes up and says, hey, we need to go sit in the office and talk. I'm like, okay, we got this training we need to get done. Don't worry about it. We need to go sit in the office and talk. So I go into the office and there's three guys in there. This is an intervention. <laughs> and uh, I honestly did not know what was going to happen, but they did. They sat down and said, hey, look, we know something's going on. And we're worried. We're not more worried, we're scared. And we want you to go to the center of excellence. All right, no, I can't do that. Thanksgiving's tomorrow. My whole family's coming over to the house. Christmas is coming up. I got a brand new, my granddaughter was just born back in June. I got them at home. This is her first Thanksgiving, her first Christmas. I'm not missing this stuff. I'm not going to the center of excellence. I'm fine. No, you need help. I'm seeing somebody, I'm fine. And they were very persistent on it. And after, I don't know, it seemed like hours of us sitting there talking, I finally agreed to go. And when I agreed to go, there was like this huge weight that was lifted off of my shoulder. I don't know what it was, but I just, I broke down. It was huge. And yeah, that night, they had already arranged everything. They had called the center, made sure insurance was covering it, had a spot for me, had somebody to come get me and take me there. Meanwhile, everything in the world's going through my head of, okay, I got to tell my wife, who's going to pay my bills? Who's going to take care of things at the house? Who's going to do this? I'm worried about everything else that I do and need to get done because now it's all going to go on top of my wife to take care of, and I don't want her to have to do all that. Cause that's not right. And I'm flip flopping. I don't want to go. I'm not going. I want to go. And even the conversation, a very good friend of mine comes and picks me up and takes me up there. We're talking on the way up and he flat out told me I'll turn this car around. We'll go back. I know I need to do this. And even when I got up there, I just, I did not want to be there. It was just, it was destroying me. And I guess one of the biggest things that are destroying me is just admitting. I didn't want to admit to myself that I did have something going on and that I needed help. That was a scary thing is actually going and saying, Brian, you need this. And I knew it, but I didn't want to admit it to myself because I can deal with it. I've dealt with it for this long. I can do it again.
0: You say you've dealt with it for that long, but you've just ignored it for that long. Yes. Okay. The, yeah. All right.
1: But when you're in that frame of mind, you're not thinking that you've ignored it that long. You think that you're dealing with it, that you're taking care of yourself. I reached out to a therapist. I started seeing somebody. I'm doing something for myself. I'm helping myself. When you're really, you know, I go through, I get checked in with the center and then the next morning's Thanksgiving morning. And I am just I was so fucking depressed that I'm up there, I'm missing Thanksgiving with my family. They have the, like, the Macy's parade on all the TVs and areas in the center, and that's just pissing me off because that's something that is, I grew up watching. My family would have that on TV. I don't want to be there. I'm angry. And one of the guys who took me under his wing and took me around and introduced me to everybody, he came and got me. We went up into the uh, cafeteria, and I'm sitting there having some coffee and just sitting with a bunch of other people that I really don't know. Everyone's awesome. He introduces themselves and everything. And I'm just sitting there. One of the guys I'm sitting next to, he looks at me and he goes, I see myself in you. And I'm like, what? He goes, you're angry. I can see the anger. It's all over you. And that's how I was when I came here. You need to let this place work. Trust me. And he had been there for, I want to say, gone on 40-some-odd days. But just hearing that from somebody else, that they could see that in your face. And I'm like, wow, is it really showing that bad? Am I that bad off? You know, that I, I really had a hard time those first couple of days up there. Missing Thanksgiving, my son's birthday was coming up. I wasn't going to be there for that. I was pissed off in the way that I went up there. That it re- I didn't really feel like it was my choice that I went up there, but I was also thankful for it. But I was just angry about everything and angry with myself, really angry with myself for the fact that I got this bad and now I'm here. And the whole time I kept being, because okay, so I sat down with the director and other people. I'm like, look, you don't have to be here. This is your choice. This is voluntary. Of you coming up here and sitting and talking with counselors and getting this help, this is voluntary. You don't have to be here. If you want to check out, you can check out, but we want you to stay and give it a try and everybody up there was telling me, stay and give it a try. Give it a chance. And that's the one thing that I could say, even though the experience was good and it did help, I did not put
0: 100% into it. Why not? It was trust and fear
1: and trust in letting everything out that was inside of me I didn't trust the process I was afraid of the process and I think I could have gotten a whole lot more out of it if I had just let my guard down but for ever as long as I can remember I've always been on guard always been protecting myself from outside for or outside people not letting people in, not telling them what's going on, even to the point where I wouldn't even sit in a building or a restaurant without facing the door. I never sit with my back. I don't, I have a huge trust issues and that anxiety, and I always feel like I'm on guard and I'm always on. And I didn't let the, I, I did not completely give myself to the process so that I could get what I needed out of that place. But I did get a lot out of it too. And I made a lot of great relationships. We were good friendships up there. One of the guys and I, we still talk to this day. we we'll call, we don't call each other every day, but we do keep in touch, like I said, keep in touch with a few others through the Facebook. Um, I made a lot of great friends up there. And I just, sitting back now after the experience, I can honestly say I wish that I'd put more into it because I would have gotten more out of it. So I get out of there just before Christmas, the weekend of Christmas friend of mine comes and picks me up and go home, surprise my family that, hey, I'm here. They didn't know I was coming home that night. And I walk into the house and there's boxes and Christmas stuff everywhere. The outside of the house was decorated. Some of the guys I worked with came over to the house and they put up Christmas lights and everything. So when I got home, here's the lights everywhere. I'm like, how the hell did this happen? My wife had better not been up on the roof. Cause our roof sucks. I hope she wasn't up there doing that. And found out some of the guys from work came to come and done that. And I was like, wow, this is, holy shit. This is fucking awesome. But the next day now I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by everything. Got Christmas coming. I'm home. And I got up early the next morning. Really didn't sleep that well that night. I got up early the next morning and all I wanted to do was get in my truck and just drive back up to the center. A little bit of irony there. Just, yeah, I just want to go back. Right. I, it was just, I was overwhelmed by way too much. And then there was anxiety kicking in. I didn't go out and buy Christmas presents. I didn't do this. All the, this needed to be done. This need. it was just way too much. It hit me like a ton of fucking bricks. And I just wanted to go back. I would go through and things start, I start getting used to being at home. I had already made plans and already arranged on it that I was going to be off. I was going to burn up sick leave for at least another month and take care of myself. I already went back to start going to see the therapist again that I was seeing prior to it. And I was just getting back into life at home. Little did I know there was some turmoil going on at home between my daughter and her fiance. I did not know that he had been mistreating her. And there was a huge fight while I was going up while I was at the center and he almost injured my granddaughter. All this stuff exploded in February of that year. And now we're into 2019. And I, everybody kept everything from me because they were afraid to tell me what was going on. They didn't know how I was going to react to it. There's a fight between them in February. Is it was a really pretty? And then I find out everything that had gone on. He had threatened to kill her and the baby, threatened to kill my wife and I. He was needless to say kicked out of the house. Everything ended in that relationship. But now I've got this fear that this guy's out there and he's going to hurt my granddaughter and my daughter and my family, and I'm on edge. I'm also trying now to get back to work. I want to go back into the firehouse, get back to my assignment, get back to working again. I get a letter from, I've got a letter from Center of Excellence. I get a letter from my therapist certifying that I'm good to go. Go through the process with work. I get sent to. Oh, psychiatrist, to do these tests that are absurd. And he comes back and says, no, I'm going to put you on light duty. So, yeah, I get put on light duty and I'm frustrated. So I have I sit down with my battalion chief about it. And he says, hey, take all your paperwork and what happened. And go talk to the fire chief. He'll listen. So I did. I went and sat down with the fire chief and laid it all out and told him. And showed them everything that I'm doing to myself to help myself. At that point in time, I wasn't drinking as heavily as I was prior. I was going to therapy. I was trying to do all the right things. Yeah, I was dealing with the stressful crap at home, but all I wanted to do was get back into the firehouse now. I need to get back to work. I need to get back with the crew. And also I need to get back with the guys who are my support system. Because I know they're going to help me and take care of me and watch out for me. I need to be back and I'm ready. And so the fire chief takes everything that I, and he ended up going with the recommendation of the psychiatrist that the department uses. And I was on light duty. So I get assigned out to the fire academy with no responsibilities. Again, I'm isolated, I'm by myself, and I'm frustrated. Be up, just I go out there, I sit down on a computer. I'll work for a few hours I'm uh, doing online e- research stuff from my Virginia re- EMT and uh, get up. I go walk around the fire academy grounds. I got nothing to do. I have no responsibility. I have nothing. And it just starts eating at me and eating at me and eating at me. And it's getting worse. I'll get off work, go to the pub. Cause I'm just, so now it just, it's starting to get uh, to the point I'm just I'm depressed, and it's coming back, and I'm sitting there talking about it, trying to deal with it, but it's not getting any better. Finally, I do get off of light duty, go back into the firehouse, and now I really feel out of place. I feel like I've been away from the firehouse way too long. I don't feel like part of the crew anymore. It takes me a little while to start getting back into it, but I've already started going back down this road again of drinking, getting back into my old habits. I fell right back into it, even while going and getting help. But again, I also did a disservice to myself because I didn't open up and tell my therapist everything that was going on. I was only talking about certain things. We were sticking on subjects having to do with calls that had bothered me. I went through and did EMDR for uh, some of the calls. The EMDR actually works. If anybody out there has ever has been thinking about trying it, do it it works. Ever since I did EMDR with the, especially for the fire at Marsh Overlook, I have not had nightmares about that. It, I don't know what in the world or how it works, but it does work. Yeah, we're going, things are changing at work. There's always stresses at work, but I'm also just not enjoying it anymore. I know retirement's coming, or my, the age where I can retire now is coming up and I'll have the time and I'm starting to look forward to that more and more. Going to work, I'm angry. I want to go to work in a good mood. I want to go to work positive. But as soon as I get there, something triggers it, and I'm just angry. Even going on calls, what I love, used to love to run back-to-back calls and just go, now I'm pissed off that somebody's calling 911 and we're going down the road. And I get in there, look at the computer, at what we're going to, and I'm yelling, this is so fucking stupid. Why in the hell are we going to this? Whistle, a waste of our fucking time. And COVID hits, now we got all these masks that we're having to wear, putting gowns on and gloves, and just every call becomes a big ordeal and it's pissing me off more and more. Um, and I wanna get back to me again. I wanna get back to loving it, being a fireman. I wanna be back to loving going on calls and being in the firehouse, but it's just not happening. So we get up into 2021, and I'm making plans. I can retire if I want to in September of that year. I'm looking at playing with the numbers and all this other stuff for retirement because I'm worried about finances and all this other stuff, but I know I've gotta go. This, I, there's just no doubt. I've gotta, I need to, I can't stay in the job any anymore because I'm just gonna get worse and I'm gonna be that old angry guy And that no one's going to want to work with, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to go out like that. And I make a point, you know, I want to go to work every day in a great mood. I want to look forward to going to work in a great mood. But as soon as I get to work, a little thing set me off. The crew the the night before left the rig filthy and we got to spend all morning cleaning it, that sets me off just little things like that. And I'm just not enjoying it anymore. That love of being there is just not there anymore. And I've got recruits coming in. I know I, at least the last two years, if not three years, I let these guys down, the guys and girls. I let my crew down. And I'm, all this stuff is coming to my mind on how I've got to change. I've got to make this the best year ever. But I'm just not able to do it. And now I'm starting to really feel down and depressed because I know I'm letting my crew down. I've let myself down, but now I'm letting other people down. The people that actually depend on you to stand up and be a captain and to be their leader. And, but the only thing I'm focused on now is I need to do, I need to do something for me and doing something for me is getting out. So I set my date December 1st. That's it. I'm retiring paperwork's in and I you know, I want to go out. I know the guys that they come to me, they tell me they want to do something for me. I told them I want it low key. I just, honestly, I want to just walk away. I want it very low key. So we did, we had a nice lunch and everything. It was just in the station. There were a few people invited it because I wanted it low key. And uh, yeah, my last day at work, I think was February or no, I'm sorry, on November 14th. Cause I had a surgery planned just before Thanksgiving, which I was going to go do. And had a hard time getting no schedule because of all the COVID stuff. He couldn't get into doctor's appointments. And then December 1st was the first day of retirement. And going through like December, I had surgery on my sinuses, I ended up getting a really nasty infection post surgery. Right around Christmas time from that, got pretty sick from that. Doing some January, I had torn ligaments in my arm and my wrist, which I tried to get taken care of back during the summer and couldn't get in the doctor's appointment. So, get surgery on that. And then I'm doing just general follow-up appointments, health appointments. And over 50, I get that colonoscopy done. Been having issues with prostate for years, go and see the urologist. So I go back for test results on that, and I get hit with bad news on both those fronts. During a colonoscopy, they found a pretty big polyp in my colon, which was, he described it as precancerous, but the doctor was worried about it. it took a lot of stuff out, and we had a long talk about it. And then I go back for my results from the urologist and find out that I've got prostate cancer in the beginning stages of it. Talk about a gut punch! here. You just retire, you're trying to do something. To for yourself because mentally and physically, you're just drained. You're wiped off. You're just done. And then you get these two things. i like, what the fuck? So the prosth- diagnosis of the prostate cancer, even though it scares the crap out of you that you had something like that growing in your body, it's in the beginning stages. It can be taken care of. So I'm like, okay, I know I got one of the best doctors in the region on my side for this. I know you have seen a lot of other firefighters, so. I'm comfortable, but it scares the crap out of me. All right. So I got this going on. Now it's time to focus on me. And that's what I'm doing. Starting starting. springtime comes around. I need to get out and start doing something. Start one out for walks and start working on my, working on myself. By about this time, I've stopped seeing the therapist. I needed a break from that. And I'm listening to, uh, doing things to help myself, like listening to podcasts. Getting out almost every day that I can, when it's nice outside, go for a walk and just doing things for myself. And as the year's going on, um, I'm getting better. I'm feeling better. Sleep does get better, but there's also, I'll go for two weeks where I'll sleep really good and then I'll have a month of not being able to sleep good. Nightmares start easing off a little bit. The brain is still hard to shut off. At night when I lay down, but I've had uh, developed some coping skills to come up that help me with that. One of those is listening to music, having something on in the background or even turning a TV show on in the background. That, for some reason, helps me. Might not be for everybody, but it does help me. It gets my mind focused on something else and hearing something else. And around May timeframe, I'm like, okay, I'm done with this drinking thing. I got to stop because I'm... I've been doing it for too long. Something's going to happen. Something bad's going to come. And then also, I get these two cancer things behind me, and I know alcohol is related to col- and with colon cancer. And I'm also just tired of feeling like shit, and it's not helping. I know it's not helping. So I made the decision in May, I going to start cutting back. And I do. Do you stop? I do end up stopping, yes, by the time July rolls around, I'm not doing this anymore, I don't need it. The only way for me is either all in or all out. I need to completely stop. July, I did have one beer. We were together with our friends, our friends who lost their son on his birthday, and we all had a beer for him on his birthday. And that's the last beer that I drank it was in July of last year, and after completely stopping that, now, I mean, I feel great. It's been, that was a huge relief. And That was a huge hurdle to jump over was stop, drink, period. I still get that desire, especially if I have a, have a shitty day to want to go have. That thought comes into my mind, but I think to myself, what is it going to do for me? How's it going to help? And you don't want to go back to where you were before. You don't want to go back to where you came home and you were so intoxicated that you were some nights dry heathen. You don't want to go back to doing that crap again. And it moves on and I'm done with it. Now I'm at the point where I could drive by. I even go to the pub where I used to go to all the time. We go there for Sunday mornings on breakfast and I can go in there and have not a problem without a problem at all. I've gone and joined up with some friends who are having some beers and everything and I don't have the desire to want one now. Is it gonna stay that way forever? I don't know, because I know it can come back. I know at any moment something can come back and trigger me and I could fall back down again. But I'm determined not to let it. That was a huge hurdle. And giving up alcohol was probably one of the greatest things that I did for myself besides retiring from the fire department. Fall came, fall's coming on. Every day I am starting to feel better and better. Yeah, there are times where you wake up and you are just, why is this happening? Or why am I feeling this way? You just feel like crap, but you keep moving on and using some of the things that I learned not only from the Senate of Excellence, but also from sitting down talking to therapists or even listening to podcasts motivate me to do something for myself. Something as simple, and this may sound silly to some people. When I first started just trying to do something to help take care of myself, I get up in the morning and I made my bed up and I I picked this up from somewhere, but I started doing it and it helped because I was doing something. All right, got that off for the day. It just, it sounds silly, but those little tiny things like that helped to build your resistance, they help to build your desire to accomplish more and to do more for yourself. And that's what I've done this last year is I've done more for myself, taking care of myself. And That was my goal. That was my focus. And it has been, it's been fantastic. It really happened. When
0: you say you're taking care of yourself, explain that. What are you doing to take care of yourself the last year or so that you hadn't done before? I do, I do more for me.
1: Okay. I do have responsibilities at home, taking care of family and helping with my granddaughter and everything. Actually both granddaughters and things around the house, but I also do more for me. I take time out for me. I have Brian time. I will go for a walk down by the river and go through just going for a walk somewhere out in nature and listening to everything going on around you. The quiet, not having the chaos is amazing i would sit down and actually think about where it was and what i had gone through and i don't want to sit there and say that i just break it down and just figure it out but i would think about what it is that i went through and how i got to that point where i just completely broke down and why it happened but now what can i do to prevent that from happening again maybe on that person that over analyzes everything or just want to look too deep into it. But I want answers as to why. And, but those little things, like I'd pick out little things and it would help me. Okay. Now I know that when I got really down and depressed, I'd go get something to drink. I'd go have some beers. Oh, we got to stop doing that stuff. Or even I thought to say, why would I think about killing myself? I got way too much to live for, but. When you look at it and you start getting that down and that depressed, those thoughts come into your mind. You can start to put together why those thoughts come into your mind and where they came from. And you know that it's not the answer, that there is a way out of it, but you can start to see why that would happen and start to understand it a little bit better. So if you have that understanding of it, Now you can stop it, hopefully stop it the next time it comes around. And that's the goal for me is that I'm not going to let those thoughts come into my mind anymore because I don't want that. Especially that's not going to take me out. I'm not going to allow cancer to take me out. I'm going to fight this. I'm definitely not going to do it myself. But the biggest thing is just taking time for me. And that's what I've been allowed to do this last year is have time for me, be able to sit back and relax. Get up in the morning, go sit outside on the deck and just enjoy being outside and having a cup of coffee. I don't even have to be doing anything or listen to some music, but that's time that I never took for myself in the past because I was always on the go. And I made myself always be on the go because if I stopped and I wasn't on the go, then I started thinking about things, negative things or calls, or what's going on at work, or is everybody okay at work? Or I need to go start doing it. I just, I need to be able to shut my mind down. And that's a huge thing is being able to shut your mind down. One of the biggest hurdles that I haven't been able to get over yet is the sleep thing. It has gotten better, but it's not where I'm sleeping every night. I and mean, even last night, I was thinking about today and I had a hard time falling asleep because my mind was busy thinking about this and finally put a d- distraction on and finally able to go to sleep but it is and that's the biggest thing is sleep. i know that it's a good it's a good thing to go back and do like a tune-up with a therapist. i personally i think that's i know that's coming up when i'm going to pull that trigger probably over the next month or so i don't know but I know I need to go back for a little tune-up and sit down and talk about some other things with the therapist, but I also needed a break from it. And I've also gotten to the point too, where instead of being on guard and also because of the fact that I do trust this individual and have a good connection with them, I'm able to open up a whole lot more with this person than I have with anyone else, And but um, I know that how important it is if you don't say anything, or if you don't talk about something that's on your mind, then you're not going to get it fixed.
0: And you got to do that. So if you're not talking to a therapist now, who do you have? I have a very good friend that we
1: talk all the time. He went through a lot of the same stuff that I did. You've had him on your show. We talk a lot. He's my go-to person and if something happens, but really it's just The last, a little bit longer than six months, almost close to a year. It's been me helping me. And I do, like I said before, I listen to some uh, podcasts, one of the biggest ones I listen to is Travis Howes, and I can relate a lot to what he says. And listening to his podcasts has really motivated me personally. I get a lot more out of that, listening to that than Sometimes sitting down and talking with somebody, if that makes any sense. That works better for me personally than sitting down and talking with somebody. That has helped out a lot. And of course, when you're started, I started listening to that every week. And I learned a lot from the different people that you've had on the show. And one of the things that I've always sat back and thought about is why is this affecting me? Why am I here? This is ridiculous. I know there are people who have gone through worse crap than I have, or you get that other thought of, this person has no idea what it is I've done or what it is I've seen. They have no fucking clue. But everybody's got their own story and everybody's story is unique. The thing, like bringing it all together it does sometimes take outside people to come and get you motivated or to get you to do something, just like I had three friends at work come and get me to take that leap and go up to the sewer. But you also got to do things on yourself and that's for yourself. And that's the one thing that I've gotten from all of them is motivation that everybody has had to help themselves. I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to let this win. I'm not going to let this take over and control my life. And that's motivation to me. Very good motivation. That's huge motivation because if someone else can do it, I know damn well that I can do it. And we may not even have the same story I went through the same thing, but the story is the same. And you can use what somebody else went through to help yourself. And it's what I listen to. Them. Sorry, I listen to the podcast. And I listen to everybody's story, and some of them I've gone back to and listen again. And I've used just little tiny things out of that to help motivate myself. You know, I usually listen a tool, especially uh, Travis Howells while I'm out walking. And I remember specifically, there was one day I was out walking and he was talking about being on a treadmill and, you know, how he felt like he was just slacking and not putting forth everything into it and uh, pushing himself. And I actually started getting motivated listening to this while I'm out on my walk. And I'm like, I wonder if I can start running again, because I do miss that. I had a knee injury and I ended up having to stop running because my knee, there's arthritis in my knee. It's close to bone on bone. And I went and saw two orthopedics and they said, you need to stop running now. But I'm out here, I'm listening to this. I'm getting motivated and Paul listening to him talk. And I decide I'm going to start running a little. So I get this little cadence going. and it's not quite a jog, but it's not a walk. And I'm feeling really good. And I go for a little bit, I stop. I go for a little bit, I stop. I go for a little bit, I stop. And this starts to just continue on now every time I go out. If I went down to the city, city of Fredericksburg, where I'd go for my walks, I'd run a block and walk a block, run a block, walk a block. But it's just little things like that, using that. And it helps to motivate me now. I'm doing something for me. This is for my health, but it's also for um, mentally, because I know I can do this. I know I can beat something. I'm not going to let something that's bothering me keep, keep me down. And uh, it has felt good. Now, when my body starts talking to me or my knee starts hurting and say, you need to stop doing this, I stop doing that. Cause I know there is a limit in where I can go because of the condition that my knee is in, but, um, just little things like that. I will use those little things to motivate myself.
0: So I have two questions. I know that I can't even, I don't even remember the first time I reached out to you to ask if you'd be willing to come on the show, but it was early into the process of me doing the show. I I remember. Okay, when?
1: We were at a baby shower thing.
0: Oh, we were at, yes. Yeah, we were. were, And it was at a brewery, actually. Yeah, it was at a (laughs) brewery.
1: And I wasn't drinking that day.
0: I think I had one beer that day. I'm not a beer drinker, so I think we were both pretty stone cold sober that day. I remember I asked you in... You told me to be patient. You were think about it, basically, is what you said. Yeah. And we saw each other again at Derek's funeral. It would have been November, I believe. No, o- October. It was October. October. And you still, we barely talked about because we both felt like we were out of place at that funeral, I think, a little bit. And we had a discussion about that, how everyone wanted to talk to you about how retirement was and people wanted to talk to me about a podcast. And I think we were both there for different reasons. We were there to honor Derek, not yeah, to talk somebody, about ourselves.
1: Somebody that we were working
0: with. And you still weren't ready. And then I just, I'm curious what, what brought you around to, to say, okay, now's the time.
1: After you had talked to me the first time I was thinking about it, but I knew I just, I wasn't ready to talk. Also wasn't ready to let my guard down. And I didn't know what I, what the hell am I going to say? Going on about four hours
0: of recording right now. So you've had plenty to say.
1: So some of the stuff that I would think about, I didn't take, I guess it was hard to put into words.
0: Okay. That I can see. Yeah.
1: Hard to put into words on what I went through and why I went through. And like I said, over this last year, I've had time to be able to sit back and look at myself and look at what I went through and what I've done or what I've needed to do to help myself, but also just having the courage, like you've had so many other people on your podcast and there are other podcasts where people have had the courage to stand up and talk about what they went through and there's always that hope that it's going to help somebody. There's somebody out there that has walked what I've walked through or or somebody's going through something similar to what I've gone through. And it would help them. I mentioned before, I have a, real, a really good friend who we talk to each other all the, when we have a bad day or something's going on, pick that phone up and just talk about it real quick. And we've been able to help each other just through that. And if something that I have said here or went through or talked about today, relate to somebody else and that'll help them even if it's only one person that's a good thing. And that's one of the biggest things of why I decided it would be a good thing for me to come on and talk about what I went through because I'm not the only person in the world that has gone through seeing all the death and destruction and everything else. And my story is not unique, but it's unique to me, but it's not necessarily unique. I've battled depression, i battled with alcohol, and there's a lot of people out there that are doing it. I know there are guys out there who may not be dep- battling PTSD or al- or depression, but they're drinking and they want to stop it can be done one of the resources that i use to stop drinking is i use the iaffs it's a zoom meeting for guys who have addictions to substance and alcohol abuse and i started attending those meetings and it was great to be able to sit down even though it was a zoom meeting it wasn't person to person but i did get a lot out of that from other people during those meetings and that helped out a lot in the beginning i haven't been attending them Recently, because the just because of the way they're scheduled, hasn't matched up with what I got going on in my life personally. I've been really busy over the last few months, but it's those meetings have helped in sitting down and talking with other people and especially other firefighters. Yeah. Yeah. It sometimes it seems like you just can't get away from something, but you can and it helps. And I figure my hope is that while my story may not help everybody or may not even relate to everybody. But there is that one person out there who's going to listen to it and say, this is what I need to do.
0: If it worked for him, it'll work for me. So after all this, 34 years in the fire service, um, countless, countless calls and experiences, you've experienced the worst with an LODD with Kyle. You've You've been through the ups and downs, all kinds of shit through 34 years. What kind of takeaways do you have from the fire service and what advice do you give to, if you had to speak to the class of rookies that are going to graduate next week, what's some advice you would give to rookies just embarking on this journey? That's a good one.
1: Number one, this is still the best job in the world. It really is. I miss being a firefighter. I miss the crew, the family. I miss the training. Wanting want to push myself further and further. And that's the one thing that you definitely, you know, you're motivated to do is you can push yourself hard in the fire service, learning anything and everything that you want to get into and having that open mind to continue learning. Don't think just because you made it through recruit school. Okay. I'm done. No, you're not done. There's a whole lot more out there. The pride in yourself. In your firehouse, in your company, the pride in your rig, that is huge. I used to show our recruits a video of Rick Lasky doing his about pride and ownership, which is one of his books, which I'm plugging right now when you ask.
0: <laughs> Steal my thunder. Come on. I used
1: to show that video to some to the recruit schools when we had time. Cause I thought it was important. I thought it was huge. I used to tell them, if you walk by you're walking in the bay and you see a piece of paper on the ground, on the bay floor, pick it up. I don't care who dropped it. I don't care if it's not yours. Don't just walk by it and think that somebody else is going to, it. it doesn't matter just because you're the new guy or if you're the guy with 30 years on. Pick that piece of paper up, have some pride in your department, have some pride in your company, have pride in your house and your crew, and have pride in yourself, carry yourself like that, that you're proud. This is the greatest job in the world. There are a lot of things out there that'll beat us down. When I got on early on, I listened to a lot of people who get angry about little things. Some of them are big things, but you know, let's say for example, are just political things that were happening within a department. Everybody sit down, just get pissed off and angry, ditching, ditching, and I fell into those traps early on in my career. And it's easy to do, to fall into all. But you also gotta look at the good things that are happening around you and some of the positives that are happening around you. And even if you just keep it within your firehouse, and that's one of the things that I tried to do as a fire officer, no matter what was going on in the department or whatever, I'll shoulder the stuff as in the department. Whatever's coming down, I'll shoulder that. Let's keep everything here in the firehouse. You guys need to worry about training, Perfecting your craft, taking care of the rigs, taking care of each other. What's for dinner tonight? Let's keep the pride and everything here in the firehouse and not worry about what's going on on the outside because they have nothing to do with us and we have nothing to do with them. Screw them. And I don't give a damn if they don't like what we're doing. It doesn't matter. That's a huge thing. You can take all the stresses and all the BS and just shrink it down to your firehouse and your company and take care of everything there. And just remember, you got a long, long career, and some guys will stay 25 years, some will stay 30 or more. But you got to take care of yourself physically and mentally. And if you do feel something that's coming on, sitting down and talking with somebody, someone you trust is really important. Don't think that alcohol is going to be the gateway or is going to help. And if somebody, please, if somebody comes to you and they need to talk, don't take them out to a bar and sit down and talk over beers go someplace else because the alcohol, once it starts flowing, it does not make that conversation better. That's a hard lesson that I've had to learn. The, but yeah, be aware of what's going on with you and just remember to take time for yourself to be able to relax. And that's one thing that I've never been able to do up until this past year is to be able to relax. I still have a hard time relaxing to be honest with you. When my granddaughter goes to visit her other grandparents, I'm on edge. I'm still scared about something happening. Yeah. There, there are still little things that I'm working on. I'm not perfect by any means and I'm still a work in progress, but being able to sit back and relax and to just take time for yourself is so important. And that's something that I really never did because I felt like I always had to be on, always had to be watching things. And now I'm learning how to do that for myself. And that's really important for anyone else. Who's just starting in this or even has been in this. You've got to take time for yourself, but take those vacations, enjoy family, enjoy going fishing or whatever it is that you like to do, or just go out for a hike. It doesn't matter, but take that time to go do that.
0: Perfect. And you've already beat me to one of my final questions, but we're going to get to the everyday carry first before, before you talk about the book again, what's an everyday carry for you? All right. First describe day. what you're showing me. I know what that's it my, is.
1: That's my coin from the IAFF Center of Excellence. Okay. I carry this every day.
0: What's on the front? Now,
1: on the front is the IAFF symbol, the Maltese cross, and on the back is a serenity prayer.
0: And I've seen so, that a couple of times. I've seen that from a couple of guests already, and that's a big one to carry.
1: Yeah. As you can see, it's probably, it's gotten worn down because the one thing that I do when I start having those days or I start having something, a thought or whatever come through my mind is I hold this. And I'll rub it between my fingers and think about where it is, where really I guess I started to heal, or where I first went to go get help. And this is the place. The people that were behind me when I went to go get go get help and who supported me through all this. And the fact that what I'm doing, you know, doing to help myself. This right here, if I lose this and I have lost it once, Mm. and I absolutely went nuts trying to find it. And it was a couple days and I was banging my head up against the wall. My wife was ready to call them up and ask them to send me a new Koi. But we finally found it. But it might sound silly, but I guess this is just that little symbol right here of you've been through a lot and you've done a lot for yourself and there's still more to do, but you're going to do it and you're going to make it happen. And this is a reminder of that, that if I start feeling down or I start feeling depressed or something just doesn't go my way and I start getting angry about it, I can pull this I'll reach for this because it's always near me and it lets me know that you know what nothing's going to keep me down nothing's going to beat me this is just a little symbol right here of you can tackle anything that bad that happens and you can make it better and i keep it with me every
0: day that's that's Perfect. It's very appropriate for why you keep it with you. All right. So the book, I know you mentioned what you were, you've already mentioned the book you're going <laughs> to yeah. use. So go no, ahead.
1: That's one of the books. I'm not a big reader. I really am not. I mentioned Travis House. His book is great. I listened to that on, what's that? Audible. Yeah, Audible, thank okay. you. And actually it really made a huge impact because he's the one that tells the story Also, So it made it even better. I get very bored with reading. I'm just that type of person where I will sit down and start reading and my mind will start going somewhere else. Also, I won't be into the story. I will start thinking about something else. There are a few books that I've read that have stuck with me over the years. First and Last Out by John Salka, some book on leadership. That I took a lot out of early on, especially as a leader, giving your crew the room to do the things that they need to do. You don't need to be a micromanager. Learn from them. Let them show you, let them teach you, you teach them, but also you got to give them, if you give them an assignment, let them roll What people surprise you. They know more or they know a lot and you got to let them go. You gotta let them have that independence because that's the way they learn also. There's a lot in there about leadership. That's just a little bit. Yeah, the pride and ownership thing, that was something that I really, that was still in me when I first became a firefighter back through volunteer days. I know things things are a little bit different now. I don't think people have as much pride in the fire service as they used to as a whole. We're all on our cell phones now. We're all on our computers. And I can guarantee you walk into a firehouse and at dinner time and you'll see everybody, almost half the crew, sitting there on their phone. What the phones away. That drives me nuts. I have a rule in my house, uh, my house at home, not the firehouse, but at my house at home, there's no phones at the dinner table. We're sitting down as a family and eating. We do. No phones. Pride in the, I, I, pride in the fire service is really huge. And, um, I've always believed in that, even just something as simple as keeping the roads clean. You go down the road and half a million dollar, a million dollar vehicle, they need to be clean. We need to be taking care of that because it's not our money, that's the public's money. And that's the people that we're out there serving. But it also shows that you love it and you have pride in it. You roll down the road and it's filthy. What are people going to think? What's the other one? It's Pass It Along by um, Billy Goldfeder. Okay. And one of the things is, I met Chief Goldfetter years ago at a conference. Went up and introduced myself after he had talked, and uh, the guy knew exactly who I was. How he knew I, who I was, I have no clue whatsoever. But he knew who I was, who, who I was associated with, because he had just gotten done talking about some fires, and Marsh Overlook was one of them. Gotcha. And uh, there were a couple of years where he said he send me an email. Hey, Merry Christmas. I you know, hope everything's going and everything. But yeah, he just, the conversation I had with that guy, it was just, it was awesome. He was really down to earth, really nice man. I talked to him a couple of times in person and his book passed it on. It was a really good book. I enjoyed reading it. I think I did pass it on to somebody and never got it back, to be honest with you. But it's a book that I want to go back to and reread again because I need to. Only because with everything, you start to slip and forget things. And that's one of the books that i I really enjoyed reading, but there's so much out of it I forgot, and I need to get back into it and read it again, but you can
0: use it if you want. No, we'll use it. That's, yeah. four, that's four books. That's, that's more than I normally yeah. get, so I appreciate it.
1: I know that it don't have a lot to do with mental health and things like that, but some of the stuff does affect your mental health. And if, you don't, if you don't have any pride in yourself, in your firehouse or anything else like that, that that's huge on affecting mental health.
0: I think that the book's subject matter doesn't always have to do with mental health, but the fact that you might better yourself has to do with mental health. And so that's why yeah. I asked for the book recommendations. I think we finally got it. I think we wrapped it up. It's been a long time. I think we're looking at almost four and a half hours of recording. So I'm going to, the first one was out. Uh, I'm going to pare down for another one and see where it goes. Okay. it sounds good. So I appreciate all the time between the pre-interviews and then the recordings, you've been more than generous and I appreciate it. Stack,
1: I just wanna say thank you and thank you for what you're doing for everybody. Um, I really do believe that this is helping across the board. I know it has helped me and I think anyone who listens to your podcast is getting something from it and it's helping them on a personal level. And for me, I just, I wanna say thank you because I think you're doing a huge thing and you're also bringing this to the forefront and making it not just, don't be afraid to talk about it, but let's talk about it because it is happening. Firefighters do take their own lives. Firefighters are dealing with depression, alcohol, PTSD, and everything else. And we need to help each other. And we need to also look for help. And there's help out there. And there is also, like I said in the very beginning, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a way out of this. There is a way to help ourselves or to help each other. We don't have to live like this. And it's much better on the other
0: side of it. That is. That is the perfect way to end it. I appreciate it thank you very much thank you and we're out thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry head over to the website thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes resources and to sign up for the newsletter until next week take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other